2: It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. 2 hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Still to come this hour, final hour of the program for another week, we'll uh, get Bob and Mark to uh, jump in here and we'll do a little uh, road trip and segment. Mark, you guys wanted to talk about safety and man, I I love the fact that we're going to do that. Uh, safety in these uh, flooding and potential flooding uh, months that we're going to be headed through here, April certainly, and maybe even into uh, May. I was kind of curious whether either one of you, and I'll start with you, Mark, have been caught in a situation where you really thought you were in trouble, or did you know before you went?
1: Well, you, uh, I've been to some situations where I've seen the trouble that's been caused. I, When it, when it comes to flooding and flash flooding in a slot canyon, I've never been in a dangerous situation where I was too worried there. I have been caught in the rain in in a slot canyon, and it does give you cause for concern, and you de- do need to be doing the right things to be safe yeah. in a slot canyon. Yeah. You, you
2: had any close calls, Bob? I, I've,
3: I've been in a slot canyon where a flash flood has come through, but I haven't been in trouble.
2: You're smart enough to, to know that before you go in there. Yes. And that's really what we're going to talk about is just knowing the steps you need to take, knowing – what to be looking at to uh, prevent yourself getting caught. I always tell people there's a reason why that tree is stuck in the side of that red rock wall about 100 feet up. That would have been how high the water got at some point. And maybe 100 feet, too. Is that an
3: exaggeration? No, that's possible. That's possible. I think Mark and I have seen been in Slack Canyon where we've seen the logs and, and debris up that high.
2: Yeah, crazy to think about, but something that will certainly give you a sobering thought as you start to make your way through, like we did, uh, was it last year or the year before we went through the Narrows together? Yeah, was a couple of years ago. Yeah, hard to believe. Time flies. Uh, this hour, so we'll do that. We have uh, Snow Day coming up, which we will talk with uh, John Erty, the executive director of Mammoth Lakes Tourism, so we'll look forward to that. Uh, also, uh, Roger Inger from Bear River Lodge will be joining us. Right now, though, it's our big game coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources, Dax Mangus. Because uh, big game permits go on sale. That's a sure sign of spring. Dax, that's only a week
4: away. Yeah, it's, it's been a long winter, and it's, it's time to get your applications in and get planning uh, your big game hunts for next fall.
2: I'm kind of curious, before we get into the specifics of uh, what people need to do to get themselves ready and, and uh, apply online and all of that, what kind of a season are you looking at, and how will all of this precipitation be affecting our herds?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's really a mixed bag. Um, in some of these parts in northern Utah, this winter has been hard on the animals, and, and we're going to lose some critters, and, and uh, especially parts of northern Utah. A lot of the central and southern part of the state, this water is just exactly what the doctor ordered, and those herds are actually doing really well. We've we've seen growth, and we were looking at really good survival rates. Those are Those are all the kinds of things our biologists are taking into consideration right now as we Come out with our with our recommendations for how many permits we're going to offer for for the hunts next fall.
2: Boyneus, what as much as I want to be you know positive about habitat and all of the growth that there will be for vegetation out there, it also raises concerns if we get another hot summer. What that means for wildfires?
4: Oh yeah, could could be a wild one. Don't jinx us, though. Don't <laughs> jinx us. <laughs> well, you know, we're just talking
2: about knowing before you go. We're trying to plan ahead here. Although there's not much any of us can do about much of that, is there?
4: No, we just kind of got to take it as it comes and do our best with it.
2: Yeah. All right. This application period starts on the 23rd, 8 in the morning, runs till 11 p.m. on April 27th. What do hunters need to know
4: here? So, yeah, you got a little bit over a month uh, to get in and apply. We've made a couple changes this year. The application period is later than it usually is. And part of that is because a lot of hunters want to at least have an idea of about how many permits they're applying for. In the past, they kind of had to apply blind as biologists are are still, you know, going through and finalizing recommendations, looking at survival rates and harvest data from last year. Uh, This year, it's a little bit different because those dates are later. Um, Proposed permit numbers will be available so folks that are interested in applying for hunts can look at those numbers and, and have an idea They won't be finalized until about a week after the draw closes, but they'll have a really good idea of of about how many permits are going to be offered, which which is new this year.
2: Looks like there are a few exceptions, too, uh, to the species that can be hunted here, at least as far as the application period goes.
4: Yes, yep. So if you want to put in for um, the the limited-entry elk hunts, the general season unlimited-entry deer hunts, pronghorn, moose, bighorn sheep, bison, you know, any of those mountain goats you need to put in You know during this period, this March 23rd through April 27th, for general season elk, uh, our general, general season elk opportunities are available with over-the-counter permits. You don't have to put in, in the draw, and those go on sale in mid-July, and uh, and you can just buy those over-the-counter or at a license vendor or online.
2: I have heard from hunters, and, and I don't happen to be one. It's been years since I was out on a deer hunt, but they've been complaining about how tough it was to spot and stalk because... Uh, all of the dry grass and things that were up there. This year, they might need their hip waders to get through some of the mud.
4: Probably, yeah. Uh, that, that dew in the early mornings, the, the grass is that tall, and it, when we stay with this wet pattern, it might be a totally different type of experience.
2: It's always a good time, too, to talk about the dedicated hunter program for those that want to get involved with it. We love talking throughout the year about the benefits of, you know, the uh, projects that actually get done uh, with the money raised.
4: Yeah, it, it's a cool program. It's really a win-win for folks that are passionate about deer and deer hunting. They, they get an opportunity to hunt all of the seasons. Uh, they can still only harvest one animal per year and only two animals over a three-year period max. But they get to hunt the archery season, the, the muzzleloader season, the any legal weapon season. And in exchange for all those extra extra days they get to hunt, you know, they come and help out with, with great projects that we're doing to try to improve habitat and, and do good things for wildlife. So it's, if you've got a little extra time or that's something you want to prioritize, it's a cool way to help benefit deer and give yourself some extra days in the field to hunt as well.
2: Yeah, and it's a nice way to give back, too, uh, which yeah. I, I hear a lot of guys that participate in it, guys and gals uh, per, who participate in it, that they, they just feel good about being able to give back.
4: Yes, a- absolutely. Uh, t- there's a ton of folks that, you know, they, they've got to come. Uh, complete a certain number of, of service hours, and we have a lot of folks that end up uh, doing more service hours than they're required to do, just because they get excited about the projects, they want to give back, and and they're having fun doing it.
2: I hope everybody has at least uh, looked at, if not already, participate and use the uh, hunt the Utah Hunt Planner. What kind of feedback have you had on that?
4: Oh, we get uh, thousands of, of hits per day on the Hunt Planner. It's a great resource, especially right now if you're trying to decide. You know what unit you want to put in for. You can look at maps. You can get updates on success rates and permit numbers for the last few years. Um, notes from the biologists. Tips about you know everything from where to hunt to how to stay safe and you know what kind of cell service or road access you might have. And so it just. It's a great tool to help you narrow down and decide, you know, what what units you might be interested in, and how you can best be prepared uh, when you do draw a tag and get to go hunt.
2: Yeah, it's funny. While some people are planning their summer vacations and uh, you know what the cruise prices are or uh, what a hotel cost stay is in Florida or whatever, you've got hunters out there that have cabin fever and they'll get on the hunt planner, and that's their that's their form of recreation right now.
4: Yep, absolutely. These guys doing the e scouting, you know, the electronic <laughs> scouting. They're they're trying. They're looking at maps. They're looking at draw odds and, and permit numbers and success rates. And yeah, I think it's a good way. With uh, uh, these snowy, dark days in the winter, we're, we're turned in the corner on those days. But it's a great way to spend some time, and when, when you've got that cabin fever.
2: In the minute or so we have left, and I will openly admit here that this whole bonus uh, bonus point and preference point thing. Is way above my pay grade. So, can you explain it to uh, hunters that are also getting ready to apply?
4: Yes, yeah, I'll I'll try to give you the kind of the quick, quick and simple version here. Um, the those those systems exist to kind of reward your persistent folks that put in year after year. There's a lot of demand, especially for some of these, you know, really high quality hunts where we have really high success rates on big old mature, you know, uh, bucks and bulls and that type of thing, the once in a lifetime species. And so uh, we give on the bonus point system, which are for all those limited entry hunts. Half of the permits are allocated to the folks with the most bonus points, and the other half it's a weighted random draw where you get a you get you have a chance even if you have no points, but you have more of a chance if you have more points. Um, and so that's how the bonus points works. And the preference points we use those for general season deer. Those those are straight preference, so the folks with the most points get the permits. Right.
1: So that's.
4: It, it's a way to reward folks that are persistent and, and keep after it when they're not successful at trying to permit you know, the first few times they put in. And that
2: might be the best and most succinct explanation of that whole thing that I've ever had, so I appreciate that. Uh, Dax Mangus is our big game coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources. The application period opens March 23rd, 8 in the morning, runs through 11 p.m. on March 27th. And, of course, the place to go, wildlife.utah.gov or call the nearest DWR regional office. Dax, always great. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. Take care, Tim. We will uh, take another break and we'll come back. We'll have a news update uh, on the half hour and then get to our snow day. But up next, road tripping with the boys. So stay right there. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport.
0: There's desperation and
2: anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin, and in my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. it's time to do a little road trip, and the boys have been with me since the get-go this morning. It's Bob and Mark. On the road again. And today, guys, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of some sobering news of the week again. with uh, those that were lucky to get out of uh, Slot Canyon and those that had to be rescued out of a Slot Canyon. Mark, you guys are familiar with both of these places. I didn't realize, and maybe I just forgot in our reporting this morning, that the most recent one with the family, and Mark, you can jump in here, was Snow Canyon. Snow Canyon.
1: Yes, Snow Canyon State Park, just north of St. George, just a few minutes. Yeah. And, you know, what what happens in a lot of these places is you get a heavy rain, and in this case, and then it, it fills the washes, and it can trap people in places where there's no way out of where they're going because they're behind a wash and, and there's no way to get across safely. And I think that was the case in Snow Canyon. then recently over in Buckskin, over between Kanab and, and Lake Powell, is the buckskin and it kind of crosses from Utah into Arizona. It's a long canyon and, and just all the rain and snow melt is filled it up and it actually took the lives of a couple of people and left one other person stranded and in a dangerous situations. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, so it, that Snow Canyon story, Bob, they had to Highline people out of there. So, and you know that area.
3: Yeah, it's in uh, Johnson Canyon. The parking lot is just right outside the entrance into Snow Canyon from the Ivan side. And it's a canyon we've been in a lot. There's, a, there's an arch at the end of the canyon. It's a box canyon. So you come to an end. You're walking through the wash to get to the end, and so there's no way out on that side. And uh, when it's raining like it has, all that water starts pouring off the cliffs, and it's kind of a horseshoe canyon, box canyon. So it's all pouring off, mm. and the only way it has to go out is on that wash that they came in on. Wow. So they had uh, they got trapped behind the uh, flood and they had to call in uh, rescue to come in and highlight them out.
2: Yeah, luckily it sounds like they're all going to be okay or, or we're okay. Yeah, it was a family
3: of five with three young children from Florida and then a man from St. George were trapped back there.
2: Yeah. How do we avoid this from happening other than looking at a forecast, Mark?
1: Well, one of the things you you want to do is, you, of course, you want to be prepared, and I think Bob's got a list of some real detailed things that he'll cover about preparation for those kinds of things. The other thing is, you just you do just need to look at the forecast, and then you need to look at where you're going, when you're going. The snow melt we're going to have this year, one thing I wanted to highlight is in 1983, when it got a little bit out of control, it wasn't just the snowpack melting, but it, I think it rained up high when it got warmer on top of the snowpack, and so it melted the snowpack fast. So if you get a lot of rain or if you get the snowpack melting quickly, it's going to cause some troubles that we all want to be aware of.
2: Yeah. Um, and these areas, they they can turn in a moment's notice. The thing you have to know is it's not just the weather you're looking at above you. It could be miles away, Bob, that this water starts to come down from a storm that's
3: miles away. Yeah, and what we're hearing with these last two incidences uh, in Buckskin Gulch and in uh, Johnson Canyon is that these folks were from out of state from areas where they don't experience this. They don't have slot canyons like we do here, and so they don't Look for the same signs, but you should be checking the weather within a large circumference of where you're at, especially where the tributaries uh, contribute to the riverways and where the water can fall into the canyons. There's a reason for dry washes. They were formed from water running through there, and these yeah. canyons were formed by water running through there. So you should check the weather in a great distance because it doesn't have to go be right above you. As an example, the the Virgin River begins on top of the Marca Gun Plateau at Navajo Lake, and there's a lot of tributaries that... Uh, deliver water into that drainage from there. And so you got to look at where all those originate and where you, that water. You pins. said could be 50 miles away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or farther. Huh. But yeah, I w- whenever I'm going in slot canyon, whenever I have groups out on a tour, I'm always checking weather within 50 to 75 miles of where we're going to be.
2: Yeah, it's important to let people know where you're going to be in the dates. That's something we mentioned, uh, no matter what your outdoor activity is going to be, what your expectations are for getting back out of wherever you're going and whatever your uh, activity is. Uh, But planning on having the right gear is important too.
3: Yeah, this would be a good plug for Russ. uh, No kidding. Having a transponder with you or a, a tracker having those little Garmin trackers, a satellite phone, something where you can reach somebody in case you're in trouble. Buckskin Gulch, 21 miles long. It's the longest slot canyon in North America. And if you're in the middle of that, there's not a lot of escape routes out of there. You better have a way of being able to reach people.
2: Yeah. Uh, Mark, jump in here because having the right clothes is important, too. And Nobody wants to carry a bunch of stuff on your back, but on the other hand, on the chance that you might get caught in a situation, whether that's a slot canyon or any other, having the extra gear to help you survive a night is important.
1: It is, and there are some very simple things that are light, they're compact, that you should always have with you. We always say, Pack a light jacket, even if it's the heat of the summer. Throw a light jacket in a backpack, but ziplock. Bring ziplock bags or a dry bag if you've got them, and throw a few things in there. And it's good to have a little towel in there so that if you do get wet and a little bit of dry clothing, if you do get wet, you can dry off, you can get warm. I've been into some slot canyons in the wintertime where we got in water. It was colder and, and deeper than we thought, and hypothermia started to come on one of our participants. We had to dry them off, get them into dry clothing. And get them out. Okay. And so you just want. To be- yeah, go ahead. Oh, and just the other thing I would say is always carry some way of starting a fire. Yeah. Uh, even, even in a slot canyon, you're going to come across some dry something that you could burn if you needed to to warm up. If that's your last resort and that's the way you're going to get warm, that's important to have.
2: Yeah, and all of these things, Bob, take pre-planning. Uh, so you know, it's great to be spontaneous, you know, and just go do something on a whim, but. If you're going to do that, just know the risks that are involved here. And putting off that hike one more day could save your life.
3: Yeah, I always recommend checking in with either a visitor center, a BLM field office, whoever it may be for current conditions because they're always checking that. You need to know before you go.
2: Yeah, definitely. And by the way, uh, everything we just talked about and more is available on the website roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com. They've got some great advice for you to follow there. Guys, thank you. Uh, We'll take another break when we come back. It is our Snow Day segment of the day, and we're headed to Mammoth. Some of the pictures of Mammoth uh, Mountain down there are incredible. Like the ski chairs on the lift are under the snow. And in some California resorts, guys are standing on their skis next to the pulleys at the top of the lift pole. It's crazy stuff. That's coming up in the next half hour. Stay right there.